Welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.11D. This is the fourth sub-episode of this whole unpacking concept of of evil and sin. And so in this specific episode, we're actually going through what are the specific sins that the scriptures list uh, and the implications of that. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick. And I'm Zach Rios. And my name is Connor High. All right, so let's do a quick recap of the first three sub-episodes, A, B, and C. So, Zach, why don't you go first? Yeah, and so in episode A, we talked about really defining what evil and sin are. And so we said that uh, evil, uh, it actually relates back to the good study, too, because in good, we talked about G0 through G3s, uh, the things that have worth, they're pleasing, uh, they cause beneficial things, and they're moral. And on uh, really the flip side of that, we have evil. So we have E0s, which are worthless, E1s that are displeasing, E2s, which are detrimental or harmful, and then E3s that are immoral. Mm-hmm. And then we also define sin, and we define that as a two-part definition. Primarily, it's a turning away from God and his beneficial things, and secondarily, turning to something else. Good. Okay, and then Connor, in episode B, we talked about the results. Yeah, Shannon, and a quick recap of the results in the episode B, we talked about what does sin result in, and we came up with six six items. And the first one is pleasure. Um, it also results, number two, in a detriment to yours or others' well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, a prevention of other beneficial goods, such as peace, joy, intimacy, etc. Yeah. Um, and a uh, key point here is it's not separation from God um, or, or harming his holiness and glory, which we discussed in that right, episode. Not those things. Yeah, not those things. Um, and then the fourth thing is a spiraling down with sin begetting more sin. Um, the fifth was eventually death, which in the notes we crossed that out because um, as believers we, um, we don't experience spiritual death. Um, and then the sixth is an opportunity for patience, uh, forgiveness, and grace, uh, The other ben- some beneficial goods. Mm-hmm. And one of the key th- takeaways from that uh, section was um, kind of a different perspective on sin. And so because as believers uh, we're not going to experience spiritual death, sin um, doesn't necessarily need to be looked at as a critical issue, mm-hmm. um, but rather we can look at it as a serious one. Right. And with that perspective, it allows us to kind of put us in the right frame of mind and heart to resist future sins. Yep. So Yeah, good. And then in episode C, <clears throat> this is past one that we did, we did the whole big why. So why does an all-good, all-loving, all-powerful, holy God allow evil and sin and, and, and suffering, which we'll get into in the, on the next episode. Uh, and so we talked about um, some of the traditional answers and how they don't really answer the final question. It keeps kind of, you keep yeah. tracing back. The original you know, origin. Right, the original origin. Uh, and that, that God is definitely, God hasn't caused it, but he's allowing it. Mm. Um, and so we got into the reasons why that, and and it's multiple reasons that all need to kind of come true to really give that best explanation. And so you have the whole irrevocable, limited, significant free will. And we went through what what all that means. That needs to be a part there. Moral responsibility is a part there. Uh, and then all those, those beneficial goods that can only occur in the midst of evil and sin. And, and because of his love, he wanted those beneficial goods to occur. He can't have them occur in heaven because it can't be any evil or sin in heaven. So he created a prologue with the evil and sin in it so that those beneficial goods could occur, such as forgiveness, sacrifice, transformation, growth, etc. Um, and then also this does cause the problem of now all the sin has now been created, you know, by all, by humans and angels and such. Um, and that needs to be atoned for. And so God said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and come in and die on the cross and actually atone for it all. 
uh, <clears throat> one thing that we didn't say last night uh, when we recorded this, and as I was thinking, is one of the pushbacks is going back to spectrum. It you're dabbling now in God's allowing and permitting sin, even using sin. It was part of His plan. We're not. We're definitely not going to that extreme that God caused sin because we know that's not true. God cannot sin. Mm-hmm. The scriptures say. So it goes back to spectrum that on on that far extreme over here is God causes sin. We all reject that. So we want to move as far away from we as we can from that and distance Him. So this kind of discussion puts it in that middle spectrum thing again, which can 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 stress people out. I had a buddy of mine that when I was kind of sharing all this stuff with him, at first what he was hearing was God was the author of sin. And or the cause of it, and obviously he wanted to reject that uh, because he was kind of thinking in this black and white dichotomy, either mm-hmm. this or this. But he's a big spectrum guy, so when he came back to spectrum thinking and realized, oh nope, okay, I see what you're saying. You're not saying that. You're just saying that God understood that it was necessary given that full story that he was trying to tell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things with this whole um, study is we're trying to redefine what evil and sin is as best as we can according to scripture, right? Try not the Bible paint the picture that it wants to paint. And what we're finding is our own selves as we went through this study and then, and then hearing pushback and things like that, just observations we make is a lot of us, most of us Christians. So, so, so sin is talked a lot about in the church, right? It is addressed, which is great. But a lot of times it's still kind of talked at just the principal level and it's not really unpacked or mapped out. Hmm. And so what happens is we as humans almost subconsciously begin to unpack it and map it out and define what we, th- what we think it means to, to give our own categorizations to it, such as ranking and, and things like that. And so what we're going to, and this is, this is definitely going to come out in today's episode, is we're trying to take back the meaning of it all. Um, so for example, I'll, I'll go ahead and give this up front. Sometimes there's this thinking of um, there's like evil, there's like neutral, and there's good. We kind of put three categories to things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us will draw the barrier line in between the evil and the neutral. And so the idea is the evil's off limits for us, right? So as long as you're the neutral or the good, you're fine. Just don't do the evil. Mm-hmm. But it seems that the Bible draws that barrier line actually between the neutral and the, and the good. So what it would say is don't be evil, don't be neutral. Go be good. Go contribute to well-being, right? Be, be active in that sense. And so I think subconsciously, a lot of times we th- the Christians think, as, and even non-Christians, as long as I'm not being evil, I'm okay. Hmm. Mm, you, God is calling us to move into that good, positive contribution category, and we, we need to move over in there. Second one is, so... It seems that the the and I like the way you said earlier, Connor. As far as like this is the perception anyway. It's not so that we've been taught this, but it's a perception mm-hmm. that we Christians might put like three categories: not good, yep. uh, sin, and evil. And it's a degree thing for us. So we would say evil. When we think of evil, we think of the worst of the worst, the abominations. So murder, rape, things mm-hmm. like that. Sin would be things kind of in that middle ground where, where we wouldn't call it to that degree. It's not as bad as, as like rape or murder is, but it's still a sin. So drunkenness or maybe sexual immorality, you know, or something like that. And then the not good category would be like maybe like white lies mm-hmm. or if there was a certain command that we're supposed to do and we're not doing it 
we're not evil for not doing it. And maybe we're not even sinning for not doing it. It's just not good, right? It seems that we have like these three categories there. Um, you, there's going to be pushback from the listeners, but I think it's their flesh pushing back. We got to get rid of that. That the Bible doesn't use those degrees. And so going back to the definitions that you mentioned, Zach, evil is anything that's detrimental or immoral, mm-hmm. anything that falls outside of God's plans. A sin is a turning away from God and his parameters or his beneficial goods that he's offering and turning to something else that's outside of his parameters that, that's detrimental. So some people would want to say that, you know, that a white lie maybe isn't really a sin. We're going back to a very technical definition that anything, anytime that you're turning away from God and not finding your satisfaction in him and you're finding your satisfaction in something else uh, outside his parameters, that's a sin. So white lie is a sin, right? And there is no degree. So there is no sins. And I know this is hard. There's no sins that are worse than others. There are sins that on the surface seem to cause much more problem than others or they the, impact or, much they impact yeah. much worsely or they're much more detrimental in some way and, and i wouldn't argue that i would say sure I, i'm with you on that mm-hmm. but it's still all sin is evil because all sin is detrimental in some way whatever the degree um, and comes outside god's parameters so yes there might be degrees to like the impact like you were saying of things but we can't label if it's a greater impact, it's evil. If it's a lesser impact, it's sin. It's all sin. It's all evil. It's all detrimental, et cetera. So as we go through this list today, um, you're going to come to the realization, you the listeners, in this, but this is also true for us, you're evil. Well, you're doing evil things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say you're evil. You're doing evil things. So you have to understand that it was safer for you before this before the study um because oh i'm not i'm not evil i don't do evil things because i'm not raping or killing people any time that you turn from god and the beneficial goods that he's offering and you turn to something that's outside his parameters that's detrimental to whatever degree it's detrimental that's a sin that's evil and so I, I know you're not going to like this, but we're trying to get back to the, the way the Bible uses the vocabulary, and we want to use the same vocabulary. Because I've had conversations before with, there's one time I'm thinking in particular, where we got in a discussion, and this was a, a more conservative, somewhat legalistic type Christian. And, and, and I don't want to knock her because that was her background, it's what she knew. I'm not going to name her, obviously, either. <laughs> and um, anyways, she was kind of going to this mindset of, I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't get drunk, I don't sleep around, I don't, I don't commit murder, you know, so I'm not evil, I don't, I don't do evil things. And I walked her through kind of what we're going to go through today mm-hmm. and showed her how you do do evil things. You do evil things every day. <gasps> no, I don't, you know, because she was still thinking evil as this extreme, yeah. nasty, highly detrimental thing. But I, was, I said, no, no, I'm using it as a technical term that the way the Bible would, that's anything that's detrimental, right? So anyway, so I, I just want to throw that out there that, that, um, you're going to be, there's a good chance that you're going to be uncomfortable as you're listening to this episode and you're not going to like the, the language that we're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get into humility and conviction and things like that when we get in, into the implications of this. So just, just be, be ready for that. Right. Yeah. And I think one other overarching thing that we need to keep in mind is going back to the love study. Uh, there's a lot of mindset is really important with this. And so Mm -hmm. Paul would actually argue that if you're not doing things out of love, even before we get started with the specific list of things, 
uh, this for me is convicting enough. Uh, if I'm not doing good and beneficial things for others with a mindset of love, then actually that would be sin as well. Because Paul goes through and he talks about how it's worthless. It doesn't profit anyone anything. Like it, it doesn't matter if you do good things, uh, even sacrificing yourself. He goes through this whole list in the first part of First Corinthians 13, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if it's not out of love. And we also see Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount really put a strong emphasis on mindset. So think about that for a second. If you serve somebody and you're doing it more out of people-pleasing than actually out of love, we're saying that's a sin. Hmm. Now, people are going to, ooh, no, 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 it's not. Because they're still defining sin and evil as these more severe things. Hmm. So the whole point, or one of the main points of this entire unpacking is that, listen, we're actually taking a much broader definition of sin and evil and a much more technical definition that it's anything that causes some sort of detriment or is not according to, to God's intent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and, and here's the thing this, so this goes back to this. We, we want to have a healthy approach to sin. Us Christians we're you know, we're beat over the head with don't be sinful. And so if all of a sudden anybody's pointing out that we're sinful, your natural defense is going to come up, right? Yeah. Those natural no, that's reflexes. Not yeah. Yeah, it's not me because it can't mm-hmm. be that. One of the points that we're trying to get to here is, guys, we sin every day in a whole bunch of different ways. And we're going to prove that here in a moment as we go through this list. Um, you need to come to grips with that. And this is this is where you have to admit, I, I am sinful. I, I do sin every day according to this. But because it's serious, not critical, and all these kind of things, this is complicated. Um, but, we're, but we're trying to create this comprehensive picture that in the end, you're taking a much more accurate and healthy view of it, which is actually going to help you re- reduce it in your life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that, let's let's go through the list. So what we did was, we and, and we're going to, we're going to, uh, attach this list to the Podbean episode so you can see this. Uh, it may have to be I'm thinking about formatting. I don't know if I can actually attach a document, but I'll figure that out when we get there. Um, anyways, look, look at us live. <laughs> Rabbit trailing. All right, so, so but we have a list, and, and we'll try to include that um, in, the, um, in, in the Podbean thing. Um, and what we've done is, is we've, we've tried to categorize it as best as we can according to Scripture, like how, how Scripture would, which is a little bit different than how normally we Christians do. So what we've done is, is, the, is the first categorization or the first split is we have two tiers of sins. Tier 1, T-I-E, or, yeah, T-I-E-R, right? Tier 1 and Tier 2. Tier 1 sins are the unforgivable ones. So these are all the sins that if you do, God will not forgive you. Um, they lead to eternal spiritual death. Um, they're unforgivable. Uh, how many sins are in tier one? Oh, one sin. Just one sin. Only one sin in tier one. What is it? It's uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Not believing in Jesus and confessing Him as Lord. Yeah. So, so blasphemy. You know. So, the, so the Scripture says you can blaspheme against Father or Son, and you're forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, um, you're not forgiven. And I think it's in First John. He says that there's a sin that leads to death. Um, and so there, there's this unforgivable sin. Now there's some, there's some debate on this. I was talking with a, a charismatic friend of mine. And they had heard it taught that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit would be like rejecting miracles. Um, and based on, because all, all, I think all four Gospels mention 
the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So there's some debate on that. My understanding of it is just kind of what you said, that it's the rejection of Christ as Lord. So because it says, I think it's in yeah, Luke 12, 10, in the context there. It says that those who acknowledge Jesus before men, Jesus will acknowledge them before the Father, and those that reject or do not acknowledge Jesus before men, then you know mm-hmm. Jesus won't won't acknowledge them before the Father. So, so my understanding of that is is that, and there's another verse in in, in First Corinthians that talks about it's the Holy Spirit that reveals to you that Jesus is Lord. Um, so, so our understanding of this is that that rejection of Christ as Lord, so Romans 10, 9, John 3, 16, et cetera, it's that rejection of him as Lord that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that's what's unforgiven. Now, by the way, that's not an in-the-moment thing. That's over the course of your whole life thing. So, for example, if you were younger and you and the gospel was presented to you and you rejected it, and then later in life you accepted it, you didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit at the beginning and now you're out. Mm-hmm. It's it's by the time you die, by the time you actually reach judgment and you're standing there before the throne, over the course of your whole life, if you decided to reject Jesus as, as Lord, that's the, the, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You're blaspheming the truth that the Holy Spirit revealed to you because mm-hmm. blasphemy means to vilify yeah. uh, or to attribute evil to. So the Holy Spirit has been whispering to you that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, and you vilified the Holy Spirit and you say you're a liar. This may be on a subconscious level, but you're a liar and so Jesus is not Lord, right? You see how all that goes together? Mm-hmm. And so one thing I say to people, some Christians get nervous, what if I accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You can't accidentally do it because it's it's over the course of your whole life. And it's almost one of those ironic, the very fact that you're afraid of it shows that you're not going to do it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and it's interesting because kind of taking just half a step back to some different views of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, one that I heard is that that was something that only the first century people could actually do because it was looking, it was watching Jesus perform a miracle and saying that it was done by the power of a demon. Mm. And so if you hold a more of that definition, then I think another way to say that we could say this is just that there's two unforgivable sins. So there's blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which was only the first century if you're looking at Jesus, but then also not believing in Jesus is the second one. And so even if you don't necessarily think that um, the rejection of Christ is the same as blaspheming the Holy Spirit, those are definitely in scripture we see uh, it, it says specifically blaspheming the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin. Mm-hmm. So obviously that has to be in this category. And then as you read through basically the entire narrative of scripture, we see that if you reject Christ, then that also is what leads you into condemnation. Right. And so that would really be the second one. So if you define it as, if you think that they're the same thing, it, 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 it ends the same is what right, I'm saying. Right, so right, if you good. say that, um, rejection of Christ is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, then they're both just one unforgivable sin. Or if you define them separately, it's still, those are the two actual unforgivable ones. And so this goes back to what we were saying in the last episode about, um, it seems, I think most of us lean towards um, Christ actually, when he died on the cross, atoned for all sins of all man, except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so when, if, if you're not a believer, if, you've, if, you, if Jesus is not your Lord, he's not your master, he's not your king, you've rejected him at judgment that you can't go to his kingdom. And so you're thrown into that lake of fire to Gehenna, um, not because of all the other sin that you did, because that stuff is forgivable and he atoned for it all. It's because you rejected him. Yeah. Um, and so, again, a lot of our language is you go to you go to hell because of all these sins that you did. I, and I'm moving more and more away from that the more that I chew through on all this stuff. All right. So that's that's tier one. It's only sin there. So and so we're not even really focused on that. Um, we, but we wanted to throw it out there. So what we're focused on is the tier two. So all other sins 
fit into here too. These are the forgivable sins. And so what we've done is, is we've split this into two main groupings, and we're going to read through all of these. The first main grouping is actually the commands that we're supposed to obey. And so we talked about, remember, that sin, if you turn away from God and the beneficial goods that he's offering and you turn to something else, that's a sin. Well, these commands are beneficial goods that he's offering. So if you turn from them, if, if in the moment you're not doing them, that's a sin, um, which is hard for us to wrap our mind around. But again, we're trying to take a broader, more accurate view of all of this. Um, and it's, it's, you know, cause again, we want to protect ourselves. So we, we rationalize, we try and get away from all that. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's gonna be the first grouping is all the commands that we're supposed to do. And then the second grouping is all the prohibitions that we're not supposed to do or be right. Um, and so here's the things that you're not supposed to be. Here's the things you're not supposed to do. And so those, and those, that's usually what we think of in sin. These are all those buckets that you turn to. So what we have is all of these buckets in that, go back to that analogy, in the fountain, right? All these good buckets that we're supposed to be dabbling, dipping into, and then all these like bad buckets that we're not supposed to be. If you dip into a bad bucket, if you do one of the prohibitions, that's a sin. If you don't dip into the good bucket, that's also a sin. Um, and so again, just hear us on this, right? As we go through that. So anyways, so, so those are the main two groupings. Then we have some subgroupings that we'll go through here in a moment. So, so let's start first with the commands because we, we hold to the solution focus. We should be focused more on the commands and the good buckets than the bad buckets. And so what are all the commands? And, and this is not a comprehensive list, though it is a pretty long one. I think we have around 80 that we've, we've listed here. Um, so these are the commands that found throughout Scripture, mostly in the, in the New Testament, because we're not held to the Mosaic Law anymore. Um, these are the commands of things that we're supposed to be doing and being and, and pursuing. Oh, and that, that's another um, category here. You'll notice that there's like be sins and do sins and, and be commands and do commands. That goes back to be, do, have, which was in season one, one of the lenses that we taught. So be is more of like the attitude, the character, the internal, the mindset, the heart set, etc. And then do is more the behavior and the actions. We Christians tend to focus more on prohibitions than we do commands, and we tend to focus more on do things than we do be things. And so one of the goals of this episode here is to, again, shatter that and get back to let's look at all of it, the be and the do, the commands and the prohibitions, et cetera. So the commands, we've split the commands into three subsections. This first section, here are some of the commands that the Bible gives that, that, that we're supposed to obey regarding us and God. And so us and our walk with him, us, our spiritual development, things like that. So, so we're going to just, we're going to slowly read these and then we'll comment as necessary. Um, so one of them is we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are to draw near to, to keep our attention on God. We're to ask, seek, knock. We see this in Daniel 9, 3, Matthew 5, 6, Matthew 5, 7, James 4, 8, all of those I grouped together with this idea of being intentional and moving toward God and what he's offering. Mm -hmm. Another one is we are to study, reflect on, and remember scripture. And this is found in Psalm 119 and 1 Timothy 4, 6. And I think with that, one of the things we've talked about too is this is, you know, studying and reflecting on, remembering scripture. That's looking at the details of scripture so that we can apply them to the details of our life. Mm -hmm. And then also, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we need to pray without ceasing, and so continually having that conversation with God, not necessarily uh, continuous long prayers, but lots of short little ones. Yeah, and so so quick note on that. <clears throat> if we think of prayer as the, you know, all right, uh, dear Lord, 
please so and so and so and so in Jesus' name, Amen. And, and that's how we think of the prayer, this little shout out, this little petition to God. And then we see pray without ceasing. Without ceasing, if you take it in a hyperliteral fashion, then 24-7 I'm supposed to throw prayers up like that? That was weird. It doesn't seem to, to be that. So I had a pastor once tell me that prayer is a walkie-talkie, not a cell phone, hmm. that it's just that ongoing open line of communication. Whether you guys are talking or not, you're on the open line of communication together. You're experiencing each other. So when this evil sin study is done, we're going to do the episode on suffering. Then we're going to do a whole episode on prayer, and we're going to walk through all of that and so what, what prayer actually is, and when you begin to understand it, you can see how pray without ceasing um, makes a whole lot more makes sense. Makes a lot more sense. And so, again, side note on this, and I know there's going to be pushback, but it's just trying to take this accurate, broader technical view. If we're supposed to pray, if, if the command is pray without ceasing and we cease praying, we're sinning. Hmm. So that right there shows you that you sin every day because none of us are praying without ceasing. Um, and so, so just, just, you know, chew on that, right? Sit on that. All right. And then another one is fast. Uh, so like Matthew, there's many passages, but one of them is Matthew six sixteen that you should be fasting, uh, at times. Now it doesn't say fast without mm-hmm. ceasing, <laughs> right? <laughs> but just fast, uh, when, when needed. And another one is we are to love and know God intimately. And that's, uh, some of the passages are Mark twelve thirty and first John four, two. And so this, remind yourself of the whole, what does it mean to love? The emotional heart delight, the soul covenantal commitment, the mind, the patient understanding, uh, and then the, the strength, the active contribution. Uh, and so it starts putting it on another whole level. You know, of course we want to say as Christians, of course I love God. Do you have this deep affection and fondness for him? Are you covenantally committed to him? Are you really getting to understand who he is and all his details and character? Mm-hmm. And are you actively, consistently trying to contribute to his well-being? Right? Yeah, and also the second part of that is know God. Uh, and so I think that it's worth mentioning that that's not knowing about God. That's not intellectually knowing things uh, about God, but it's actually having a personal relationship with him intimately. Experientially. Is the, the second yeah. half of that, yeah. And so also we need to have a deep and active faith in God. So we see that in Mark 11, 22 through 24 and Luke 12, 22 through 31. And that goes back to the faith unpacking. So mm-hmm. you go back and listen, and listen to that. So belief equals, you know, faith equals belief plus trust, right? Um, another command is we are to exalt, glorify, praise, and worship God. We see this in Luke 4, 8, 1 Peter 1, 7, Revelation 19, 5, and again, a bunch of other ones, that there needs to be that worship, that, re- you know, and this goes back to the glorify pass, the um, unpacking, that we are to begin to recognize his resplendent heaviness, revel in that, and then reveal it to others. Um, another one is fear the Lord, which is found in 2 Corinthians five eleven. And we're going to be doing an unpacking on that, just to give a, a spoiler alert. Fear, fear the Lord is like ninety nine percent excitement, one percent afraidness, hmm. and we'll explain that more in the unpacking. James four ten also says that we need to have humility. Uh, and remember, we, we so we we haven't recorded it yet, but we did the unpacking a year or two ago. And humility is kneeling before God in adoration, submission, and security. Hmm. And we'll go through all that, so you can see where all this stuff overlaps, right? All these mm-hmm. unpacking group studies. Um, and then First John one nine tells us that we need to confess and repent of our sins. So, so we, so th- th- this becomes important in, in this study here. You need to uh, acknowledge that you're not finding your contentment in God in the moment, and, or His beneficial good, and you're turning to something else. And then that repenting is that turning back. 
Yeah, and I think we're going to talk about this more in our response to sin, but it's not saying that we need to ask for forgiveness every time right? because we've already been forgiven. That's the point. What we need to do is we need to recognize that we have turned away from God and acknowledge it and then repent, which is actively turning away from it and back to God. And so there's a difference in mindset there that we're going to draw out later, but it's really, really important that we're not just saying, oh, God, please forgive me. Because he's just like, I have. Like, that's not that's not the right. issue here. The issue is you need to come back and turn back to right. me. Right, I want you to acknowledge it. And side note on that, too, repent in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word means to, like, to turn back or change behavior. Um, repent in the New Testament means to change one's way of thinking, hmm. me- metanoia or something like that. And so to repent is you need to be changing the way you view things, which will then help you change your behavior. So, Okay. Um, another one is uh, be baptized, um, which is found in Acts 2.38. And then we also need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We see this in uh, Philippians 2.12. And we touch on that in the maturity unpacking mm-hmm. study. Um, and then um, we see that we are to walk worthy of our calling. We're to be sound in faith. We're to present ourselves as one approved. This is Ephesians 4, 1, 2 Timothy 2.15, Titus 1.3. These are grouped together. It's the whole idea like developing and, and strengthening that faith, right? It goes back to the maturity there. Mm-hmm. And then we're also supposed to walk in step with the Holy Spirit being led by him, which is found in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. That's a huge one. And by the way, that one says, if you walk in step with the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Mm-hmm. So we'll get back to that when we get to our, our interactions with sin. How do you re- reduce the sin in your life? You're walking in step with the Spirit. And then here's a real uh, broad category we see in Acts 5.29. Be obedient to his commands. Yeah. So, and, and, and all, all which are all these here, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, so those are, again, not comprehensive, uh, but those are a bunch of... Um, the, the commands that are given uh, for us as far as us and God. So then the second subset of commands that we have of things that we're supposed to be pursuing and being and doing has to do more internally with like our attitude and our approach to things. So one of them, for example, from Isaiah 11, 1 to 3, we need to be receiving knowledge, understanding, wisdom, counsel, fear the Lord, and power. That one's a messianic passage talking about how the, the, the root from the stump of Jesse, which is the Messiah, Jesus, had the Spirit rest upon him and give him mm-hmm. all these things. And as we emulate Jesus, we should be doing the same thing. Another one is fix your eyes on the unseen, which is found in 2 Corinthians 4.18. And that goes back to all, all the spiritual lenses in season one. Mm-hmm. It's the whole point. The goal is to try to, to fix our eyes on what is unseen by, by using those spiritual lenses and paradigms. Yep. And then also we need to think on whatever is good, pure, and noble, and then also hold on to what is good. We see that in Romans 12.9 and Philippians 4.8. That's a big one I'm working on right now where my default my flesh my tendency is to still be thinking on what's not right and it's just irritating me and I'm just in a bad spot it's been a kind of a rough year with that I'm better now but it's I keep coming back to this and oh I got to be thinking on what is good and pure and noble and it gives me the mindset I need to go kind of handle things and put mm-hmm. me in that better mood. one of the things I like about that one too um I remember we discussed in one of the other unpackings but how that relates to heaven and you know mm. that's something that's really good that's coming and so to be thinking about that um, is important, so I'm glad that we've done an unpacking study on it where we can kind of delve into more of the details of that. Yeah, yeah, Sarah would give you an amen to that. And also that relates back to the spiritual lens, EIE, and so eternal, internal, external, right. just where are we focused, what are we actually looking at as we go through life. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to season one yet, go back and check those those lenses out. 
Um, and then another command we see in 2 Corinthians 12.10 and in Colossians 3.15, we need to be thankful and content. Um, quick note on that. Content is acknowledging that God is abundantly replenishing your needs. And a couple points on that. Notice that it's replenishing. So it's just it's a given in this life that you'll have you know, needs that will be met. And the needs will be created, right? Your resources go down, and then they be refilled, and your resources go down. The second note on that, the abundantly, when I first was reading, I pushed back on it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I would say God is abundantly replenishing my needs. It seems like he barely is, you know? <laughs> um, but the concept, scripture, was that it was abundantly replenishing. So I had to go back. I'm like, well, what, what, what's, what's the disconnect there? I'm like, you know what? There's probably things that I'm thinking are needs that are not needs, mm-hmm. And that's what I'm thinking of. So I went back to like, what are the core needs that I need? We won't go through this now, but I went through, I think I had like seven. Um, these are seven core needs. And as I went through them, I realized he was abundantly replenishing each of those. And I was in tears by the end of it. And so just realizing I, I my, my, my wants aren't getting met always, but my needs are, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, another one is rejoice always, which is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And so that, that's another one of those tough ones, always. And so I, I take a more literal approach to scripture. Mm-hmm. So if, if Paul says rejoice always, the command is to rejoice always, which we don't do. So we still sin every time that we're not rejoicing. Now, people think rejoicing means this celebration, jumping up and down. So 24-7, I'm supposed to be jumping up and down. No, rejoicing is, is an attitude that leads into behavior. There's a mm-hmm. lot to that. Um, but having joy would be another way to say that. And so, we, and so, so the command is, because this is beneficial, Joy is beneficial, so if you're always joyful, you're always getting benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if in that moment you don't have joy, you're not having that benefit, it's a sin. So then what I'm saying, you're telling me that it's a sin when I don't have joy. Yes, but, but keep in mind we're trying to redefine, we're trying to take back how the Bible would define what sin and evil is, right? Mm-hmm. And according to that definition, yes. And so, so we really need to encourage you, you really need to be redefining what sin and evil is so that you're okay in hearing all this. Yeah, and then we also need to be confident in the Lord and bold, which is uh, seen in Ephesians 3.12. And then Titus 3.2 and James 3.17 and Ephesians 4.32 all make reference to the need to be gentle and tender. Um, and then also to be pure in heart, um, which we see in Matthew 5.8. And then also uh, we need to be dignified and reverent, Titus 2.7. And it seemed that some of these, because it doesn't say always or continuously, there's a time and place for them, mm-hmm. right? So there's a time and place for, for a dignified, reverent behavior and time and place for gentleness and tenderness, et cetera. All right, so that's the second category of the commands and things that we're supposed to pursue. The third one is the longest one. And these are, are again, not it's not comprehensive, but it's a huge chunk of all the commands that regards how we're supposed to be interacting with others and, and engaging them. So, for example, um, we need to, or, and this, so this would be how you pursue others and just even externally. So the first one's kind of, the first category was like eternal, you and God. The second category was internal, more of your attitude and heart set and mindset. And then this third category is external, um, your relationships with others and circumstances. So, so one of them is we need to endure and persevere through suffering and persecution. Romans 5, 3 to 4 in 1 Corinthians 4 to 12. And when we get into the suffering episode, we'll talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Another one is uh, we need to be patient uh, to turn to turn your cheek. Um, and that's found in Matthew 5, 39 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. 
And then also we need to forgive and show mercy, which we see in Matthew 6, 14 and Luke 17, 4. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in this unpacking and then also in the mercy unpacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans fifteen seven says that we need to accept one another. So we need to be accepting of people in the midst of their sin. First mm-hmm. uh, Peter two seventeen says we need to honor one another. Uh, this is a pretty broad category, but we need to love one another. We need to have compassion. We need to treat them well. Uh, be kind towards other people and serve them. We see this in a lot of different places. Mark twelve thirty one, Luke six thirty one, Colossians three twelve, and Galatians five thirteen. Yeah, and so and like be kind is useful, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll notice here as you're looking at this list, technically each of these could be its own bullet point. I wanted to get everything on one page, uh, and so in formatting, and so I just grouped them all together. So when I say there was eighty, there's actually eighty of those bullet points, but there's probably well, well not even probably, there definitely is well over a hundred, hundred and twenty of these specific. I've just grouped some of them together and you may group them differently. That's fine. The point is we're just we're still getting them out there. Um, and then Matthew 5, 40 and 41 talks about giving your cloak. So if someone takes your tunic, give them your cloak as well. If someone demands you to go one mile, go two miles with them. Quick little note on that. So in the first century Rome, one of the laws. So the Roman soldiers used to abuse um, the locals by making them carry their shields and their backpacks and their heavy equipment. And they were being oppressive in that. And so Rome put a new law out that a Roman soldier could do that. They could demand any citizen to carry their backpack, but only up to a mile uh, and not longer than that. And so people didn't like that law, right? But the law was meant to protect them that they weren't going more than that. But they did allow the Roman soldiers to do it. So anyways, Jesus addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, if someone demands you to go one mile with him, go two. So so the idea being, but you know, Jesus... We're, we're, you're our king, right? Not, not this Roman emperor. So we don't have to listen to the Roman laws. We don't have to, to concede to these Roman soldiers, right? So because, because we belong to your kingdom, if these Roman soldiers demand us to go one mile, we can just, we can just resist, right? Jesus says, no, 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 go with them. In fact, go two miles, talk with them, love them, get to know them. You know, that's why I had that picture on my wall, the, mm-hmm. the community group you guys bought me, um, of Jesus walking with a, a, a Nazi soldier, carrying his backpack, talking with him. I just love the power of that, of that, of that picture. Anyway, so that, that's a cool little note on that one. Mm-hmm. Another one is to mourn with, um, to comfort, um, and that's in, found in Romans twelve fifteen and 1 Thessalonians four eighteen. We're also supposed to bear the burdens of one another, which we see in Galatians 6, 2. You know, it's funny. So Galatians 6, 1 says, um, if you who are spiritual or you who are mature, you who are walking in step with the Spirit, if you see your brother in sin, you should seek to restore them, bear their burdens. So in biblical rebuke, which we're going to get into later, uh, in correction, if you're, you can only call somebody out if you're being spiritually mature, if you're walking in step with the Spirit in the moment. And when you're doing that and you're calling them out, one of the things that you actually first need to do is bear their burdens because hurt people hurt people. So if they're in their sin, you need to be figuring out what's triggering them. It doesn't justify it. It explains it. Mm-hmm. You need to be figuring out what is it that's burdening them, and you need to shoulder that burden with them and come alongside them before you can actually even get to the correction piece. It's really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one is, and this was a bunch, bunch of places in Scripture. First Thessalonians five eleven is one of them. We're supposed to encourage each other. Um, another one is to evangelize and go on missions, and that's found in Matthew twenty eight nineteen through twenty. We're also supposed to show hospitality, which is Romans twelve thirteen and Hebrews thirteen two, 
And it's interesting because that word, it act, it literally means to, uh, I think it's show kindness to strangers. But the emphasis there is it's n- like hospitality isn't having your friends over and uh, having pizza and a movie night. It's actually inviting strangers to come into your home. I say both, right? It, it, sure. It doesn't incorporate yeah. both, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and then Colossians three sixteen and James five thirteen both make reference to singing together. Um, and then also Hebrews thirteen seven and First Peter two thirteen um, talk about submitting to elders and authorities. So one little note on that: that's both spiritual and civil. Um, that you need to submit. There was one, I don't know if I have it listed here, but in, in one of the First Peter, I think uh, it mentions honor the king. We don't know for exa- we don't know exactly for sure when First Peter was written, but possibly it was written during the reign of Nero. And so you imagine Peter saying that honor the king, honor Nero. And so one of the things that we don't like doing, especially given this American culture, if we don't like our, our elders or superiors, our leaders, you know, we don't need to do we, whatever. We can yes, we have a, a democracy, so we can vote them out in the next election. Absolutely, go for it. Um, but we still need to be honoring and submitting to, which is like kneeling before, recognizing the authority of, and obeying the laws. Hmm. Um, and so that takes it to a level that we're probably not comfortable with. But again, a really mature Christian is going to want to apply the details about to the details of their life. And they're going to say, all right, so here's a guy that I didn't vote in office and I don't like him. How can I still um, honor and respect him and this position that he's in and, and uh, obey the commands that he's given. Hmm. We don't like that, but a mature believer is going to make an effort to do it. Yeah. Uh, second Timothy three seventeen also says that we as believers need to be prepared for every good work. That's another broad one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Romans 12 and first Corinthians 12 and Ephesians four and other passages all talk about the spiritual gifts that God gives us. Um, and so we need to be figuring as back to know thyself in season two, we need to be figuring out what are the spiritual gifts that God has given me. And then you, you know, developing and honing them and using them to edify and serve others. Um, another one is to pursue justice, which is found in Matthew 23, 23. And then like Micah 6, 8 is another common one there. But again, that's a broad category. Justice is a making of things right. So pursue justice means you're, you're looking to make things right. Mm-hmm. And then also we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, which we see in Proverbs and then also James 1, 19. Yeah, I'm not good at that. Um, we, and with that, we should control our tongue and we should speak with grace or seasoned with grace. Uh, that is Colossians 4, 6 and James 1, 26. Um, we're also to teach, remind, and refute. Um, and this is found in 1 Corinthians four seventeen and Titus 1, 9. And then also we need to exhort, warn, admonish, and rebuke, which we see in 2 Timothy 4, 2. And one note on that. So those two right there that you guys just read, this teaching, refuting, exhorting, admonishing, these are, you know, correcting people. You'll notice that I purposely put them further down towards the bottom of the list because I really believe if you're doing all the other things first, mm. it really gives you a place to then do that. Yeah. And so if you just walk right into somebody and start rebuking them, but you haven't done all these other things, their walls are going to go up. So if you really want to help them and really want to correct them, you should be loving and encouraging and turning their cheek and being patient and forgiving, etc. before you move into that so that it becomes effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then James 5.16 says we're to confess to one another. So not only are we to be acknowledging our sins to God, we should be acknowledging our sins to others, which is why I'm trying to be more vulnerable and admitting, uh, acknowledging the weaknesses that I have and the sins that I do. 
And I think also there's that idea of community that we've talked a lot about Mm -hmm. in different episodes, just making sure that we're not going and living life alone because we are supposed to be doing things together as the body of Christ. Right. Another one is um, to discipline, train, or edify, to correct. Um, and that's found in Ephesians 6, 4 and Hebrews twelve eleven. And we're going to go more into that one in, in the second sub-episode from now when we get into our responses to sin. And that discipline is a training, not a punishing. And we're going we're gonna to get into all that. We also need to bless those who curse us. And so we see that in Luke six twenty eight and Romans twelve fourteen. You know, it's interesting there. So in, in Romans 12, it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. So bless is in the Greek, I think it's homologeo, and it means to speak well of. Uh, and curse means to strongly disagree or dislike. So it says, speak well of those who persecute you, speak well of them, and do not strongly disagree or dislike them. Right? The Greek takes it to another whole level. Mm-hmm. Which, again, we don't like. So this, this is another one of these things where we Christians, we need to understand, guys, we are f- so falling short. We need to stop hyper-focusing on the sins that the lost world is doing. Of course, they're sinning. They're lost. We need to be encouraging them to join Jesus' boat and realize he's the most amazing king ever and get them in. And then once they're in, then we need to be encouraging each other to doing more of these commands. It's difficult. It's hard. It's not easy. There's a cost to it. Um, but there's so much. Be- remember the beneficial detrimental. Every single one of these commands create benefit for you or others, which is why God commands it. So, yes, these things are hard to bless those who persecute you, but it's beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so we need to do it. And with that, when we start, this comes back uh, to applying the details of the Bible to the details of our life. Because when you actually go through and you figure out what blessing and cursing actually means, Mm -hmm. that adds a whole nother level when you actually begin to apply it. And so uh, this list is just really something that I think all of us are passionate about with um, the details, because there are so many details here. But you can really begin to see how even if you were to pick uh, just a couple of them, and actually actively work to pray without ceasing and do everything without complaining. Like just those, you mm-hmm. would see your life transform so much. So this goes back, you know, we talked about, we've had several people go through the love unpacking and by, and by halfway through, they're like, dang it. Before this study, I wanted to say that I was loving, but now that I'm actually understanding exactly what love entails, I'm not there. Not that I'm unloving, but I'm just not to the degree, right? Same here. Dang it. Before this episode, I would say I was a fairly good Christian. I didn't sin very much. Mm, that's changing, right? Recognizing this. Okay, uh, I guess it's my turn. So another one in Galatians 5.23 and Titus 1.8 talks about being temperate and self-controlled. Um, that's kind of the idea of like resisting temptation. Um, another one is live at peace with others and preserve unity. And that's found in Ephesians 4.3 and 1 Thessalonians 5.13. We also need to be an example to those around us. So we see a lot of different word pictures of this. We're supposed to shine like stars, be like a city on a hill, salt and light. Matthew 5, uh, 13 through 16, we see this. And then also Philippians 2, 15. So again, that's not a comprehensive list, but that's a start. So we had, what, you know, 80 groupings, 110 plus specific commandments where God says, listen, these things create benefit. They're part of my plan. They're within my parameters. So I want you as a follower of me to pursue them and create that benefit for you or for others, right? It's very, 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 very encouraging, though it is is difficult. So now we can move to that second grouping uh, here in tier two, which is the prohibitions, those things that we're supposed to avoid, that we're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to do. 
and we've split this also into, into three subgroupings. And so this first grouping is kind of the internal, um, the internal sins, the internal buckets that we're supposed to avoid when it comes like to our attitude, um, selfishness, pride, um, that that kind of thing. So one of them is the selfish ambition and and self seeking. That's First Corinthians thirteen five and James three sixteen. The idea is there is you're putting your needs before others. Another one is to show arrogance, conceit, to brag. And that's found in 1 Timothy 6.17 and James 4.16. And then also uh, we need to avoid jealousy, envy, and greed, Romans one twenty nine, and also Romans 13.13. And then we need to avoid idolatry. This is 1 Corinthians 10.14. The idea there is anything that you're putting as more important than God, right? Would, would yeah. be, or you're going, you're going to that thing for your comfort and protection rather than God. Mm-hmm. We need to not rejoice in unrighteousness, which is found in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. So don't get excited about the sins, right? <laughs> we also need to not quench the spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. So the, the, just the, my, my more cessationist friends, you know, just be careful, don't, don't quench the spirit. Let the spirit lead in the way the spirit wants to lead, right? And then to my charismatic friends, make sure you're following the rules. <laughs> the, the Bible lays down on that. But, um, and then another one is do not have any doubt, worry, or fear. So we see this in Matthew 6, 34, 10, 31, 21, 21. So let me make a note on that. So these are things that cause detriment, which is why God's prohibited them. So God doesn't want you to have doubt. He doesn't want you to worry. He doesn't want you to fear because those are detrimental to you or others. And we know that anything detrimental is a sin is evil. So, so, so think about this for a second. What I'm saying is anytime that you doubt, anytime that you worry, anytime that you have fear, it's evil. It's evil to do that. No, it's not, Shannon. Evil is the rape and the murder and that kind of thing. No, we're going back to the accurate technical definition that scriptures give. It's because evil, because you're defining evil as something super, super intense. We're defining evil as anything that's detrimental. It's detrimental to you, right, um, to, to experience those things. So God prohibits it. He doesn't want you experiencing that. All right, so that's, that's the first little category of kind of these internal uh, attitudes and, and mindsets that we're supposed to avoid. The next set, I, I call this set the party sins. Um, this is the one that most of the church knows about and focuses on where we hate and we, and we rally against it. We rail against it. We say, don't do these things. We, we judge people six ways a Sunday when they do them. And this is a lot of what the lost society does do, right? Um, it's amazing to me how much we narrow in on this subset here when there's so many more going on. Um, so, um, yeah, ahead, and one of those is to lie, um, and that's found in Colossians three nine. We also need to avoid having rudeness or inappropriateness, and in that we can see in First Corinthians thirteen five. And one note on that: what makes something rude or inappropriate? We talked about this a little bit when we were breaking down First Corinthians thirteen. It seems that it's up to the other to decide. And so if somebody else finds something inappropriate, you shouldn't be doing it around them anyways because it's, it's going to cause them to stumble, you know. Um, and that, and like, well, but, I, but that's, that's them, you know. I'm okay with it. Right, but we should be putting the needs of others first and, and, and thinking about where they're at and meeting them where they are. And so a mature believer, it's, it's a lot of work. We don't want to do that. Mature believer is going to strive and, and try to do that. Uh, and then, and actually with that, this was one that, that, that I'm guilty of freely. I struggle with this is from Ephesians five, four, 
we need to be avoiding coarse joking, foul language, or foolish talk. Um, that's that's convicting for me. Mm-hmm. Another one is to avoid drunkenness and carousing, and that's in Romans thirteen thirteen. Mm-hmm. And we also need to avoid sorcery and drugs, <coughs> uh, which we see in Galatians five twenty. Yeah, and the note there, so the Greek is pharmacia, which is where we get pharmaceuticals. And so in first century Rome, a lot of the pagan religions were like drug-induced. Um, drug use was heavy in that, and so stay away from all that. Yeah, and we're also not saying that uh, prescribed medication is a sin. I right, think right. that it's worth mentioning that here, um, that, that is when something is really taking over your mind and that sort of thing. Yeah, so the, the use of drugs here is in the context of sorcery. Mm-hmm. Is what is what it's talking about, um, and then First Thessalonians four thirteen and other passages, uh, any sexual immorality, so any sex that falls outside God's parameters, and so this can include adultery, having sex with somebody other than your spouse, uh, homosexuality, the, the same sex, um, act, you know, action behavior. So, so those are all you know, we call them party sins, but but the the tangible physical do sins that the American church tends to really hyper focus on. Then this third category, wait for a gut punch. Um, this should be very convicting. This third category is sins, prohibitions, things that we're supposed to avoid when it comes to your attitude with others, especially when they sin. And the first, the, one of the ones that we see is uh, judging. Um, and that's found in Matthew 7, 1 through 2, and Romans 14, 13. Also in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, we see taking wrong into account. And so that's in the love chapter, uh, going through all of those different things that love is and also the things that love is not. Right, so love does not take wrong into account. It doesn't keep a record of of those wrongs. Um, Titus 1, 7, and again in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, uh, we are not to be quick-tempered or provocable. And so the idea there is thin skin. We, we, we shouldn't be at a place where we easily get provoked or we easily get irritated or really provoked or irritated at all. We should have such, such, such thick skin that that stuff bounces off us because it's detrimental for us to be irritated and provoked. Mm-hmm. I think that some of that goes back to like acting in anger, or acting on anger. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what you're talking about, to not be quick-tempered or provoked. Right. Um, another one is grumbling and complaining, uh, which we see in Philippians 2.14. So that verse says, do everything without complaint or without grumbling, depending on the translation. We grumble and complain all the time. It's a sin. It's a sin to complain. It's detrimental to you and or others when you grumble and complain. It's evil. And it, because I, for one of my uh, classes on discipleship, we had to read a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. And something he talks about a lot in there is simple obedience. And so he goes through like the Sermon on the Mount and um, he goes through a lot of, and it applies directly here because basically his principle is too often as believers, what we try and do is we try and work our way around the commands of scripture and rationalize how, no, it's okay in this case, or if I do it this way, this different side of things. And what scripture actually calls us to is simple obedience. What we need to do is literally do everything without complaining. We don't need to try and figure out ways to work our way around it. And like, no, if I'm doing it this way and like, no, just do everything 
without complaining or grumbling. And that's a whole lot more challenging, but it it simplifies the exegetical process, really. Yeah. I've got a friend of mine, uh, used to be my roommate years ago, Sam. He took this real seriously. He was really good at this. And so like EIE, the eternal, internal, external, you know, if you're focused on the external wrongs, it's easier to complain and grumble. So if you're focused on the eternal goods, it's less likely. So he had a job that was could be difficult and drama filled and that stuff like that. So he would come home uh, when we were living together. Um, like, hey, how, what's the latest on the work situation? And he'd be like, man. <clears throat> and he would catch himself, you know, because he wanted to complain and he wanted to be externally rooted. But he also knew that's detrimental. And it was beneficial to be eternally rooted and, and not complain. So he, he, would, he would take a deep breath. You could see, see his mind just churning and racing. And, he, and so he would rephrase it uh, and retone it. And it was great. It was so, it was so encouraging to watch. I'm like, that's awesome that somebody was trying to be really intentional with that. I always, I always really admired that. Mm-hmm. And we also need to not have bitterness, according to <laughs> Ephesians 4.31. Yeah, so bitterness is evil. That's a huge one, right? There's a there's a book written called The Bait of Satan. There's a whole study with it. Uh, an old church I used to go to uh, went through it all. It was super convicting, and it was talking about how bitterness is the bait of Satan to really cause trouble. It was a really, really in- in- convicting and encouraging study. Uh, Galatians 5.20, um, it's listing the acts of the flesh and includes drunkenness and things like that. Two of the things it includes in there is wrath and anger. Now, I know in the NIV, and I love the NIV, but in the NIV 84, it had outbursts of anger. Outbursts is not in the Greek. It just flat out states anger. Now, I want to be careful here when I'm saying that. Are we saying that wrath and anger is a sin? No, because God shows wrath and anger, and he doesn't sin. So I want to clarify this carefully. When a human uses wrath or anger, that's a sin. The anger itself is not, but the human use of it is. And so we're going to do a whole unpacking on anger. Um, but there's a bunch of passages in Ecclesiastes. Anger resides in the bosom of fools. In James, it says man's anger cannot accomplish God's righteousness. In Ephesians 4, he says rid yourself of all anger. He mentions that a second time elsewhere. And so, and so people always want to say in Ephesians 4, it also says in your anger, do not sin. So it's okay to be angry. Just don't sin in that. Mm. Going back into the to the Greek, the the um, the the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The 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 verb and that kind of thing. It's a passive imperative, and so the literal translation is let yourself be angry and sin not. And then it says, do not let the sin the sun go down on your anger. And then a couple of verses later, it says, rid yourself of all anger. Side note, that's a quote from Psalm that actually says, tremble and sin not. So in the original Hebrew in Psalm 4, um, the passage is talking about like tremble before the Lord in fear and excitement. And it's that fear of the Lord that will keep you from sinning. So it says tremble and sin not. Uh, when the Septuagint was, tra- when the Old Testament was translated into the Greek, the writers that translated Septuagint, when they got to Psalm 4 and it said tremble and sin not, they used the Greek word for angry and they, ch- and they changed it to be angry and sin not. Why? I don't know. Paul quotes from the Septuagint when he quotes Ephesians 4 here. So be angry and sin not. But again, it's let yourself experience anger. You're a human. It's going to happen. So don't try to ever not have any anger. It's not possible. Let yourself experience the anger. 
But as soon as that anger arises, you take it and you throw it from you. And you can think no thoughts. You can make no decisions. You can take no actions in that anger because anger is a really powerful tool that only God in his perfect wisdom and perfect power and perfect love knows how to use. And so a lot of us want to say righteous anger. Righteous anger is never as a phrase that shows up zero times in scripture. It's to me, it's a human concoction of us trying to justify it. That, that anger is a very powerful tool that only God knows how to use. And so we humans are going to experience it, but we can't use it. We don't have the power and the love and the wisdom to use it. So we must rid ourselves of that and, and then take no actions in that. It's really, really, it's a powerful thing. We'll, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll do more of that in the, um, the unpacking on anger. Um, another one is hatred, um, and that's found in Titus 3.3. And we mentioned this earlier, but a possible <coughs> difference between anger, which we just spoke about, and hatred is that hatred is more of like an aversion, so a strong aversion to, while anger is kind of an action towards, a hostile action towards mm-hmm. something. And so I think the difference there it can be really key. Yeah, and so with that, we're not supposed to hate people. We are supposed to hate sin. Mm-hmm. So going with that aversion, when you see, because what it's talking about in that passage is you hating the sin that's coming into your life. So when you feel those temp- temptations, you need to have this aversion where you want to step back from that temptation. But when you see somebody else sinning, you're not supposed to hate them. You're not supposed to step back from them. You're actually mm-hmm. supposed to step right up to them, right? Another thing that I wanted to say is, 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 you know, I've heard the argument that, but we need to have anger because that's what that's what's going to drive us to fight sin. I understand that argument. I don't agree with it. Um, grief, we, we should grieve sin. And so my, my again, we're getting into specific definitions and semantics here. To me, <clears throat> we should grieve and hate sin. And the grieving and the hating of the sin will help us counter it and, and, and resist it. Anger doesn't need to come in. Anger, to me, is just going to complicate things and screw things up. Yeah, and then we also need to avoid <laughs> malice, slander, and gossip, which we see in Colossians 3.8 and 2 Corinthians 12.20. And so be really careful. People want to um, create a very, a very tight definition. I'm not gossiping. I'm just trying to explain to you what the bad is they're doing. Mm, watch that, right? Um, and then another one, and this is in Galatians 5.26 and Ephesians 6.4. It talks about do not provoke or exasperate. So in Galatians um, 5, it's do not provoke one another. In Ephesians 6, it's parents, do not exasperate your children. The idea there is the needling, right? Just just that, 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 the, the pushing the finger. I know I'm really good at that. I'm talented at this. <laughs> um, and so as I've gotten older, I want to call it teasing. I want to call it just in jest or whatever. I can't. That's me trying to justify it and explain it away. Don't do anything that's going to provoke somebody. So this goes back to even like calling somebody out in the sin. We like to calling it, call it out in a provoking, needling way. Um, that's only going to build walls. That's never God's intent. So be careful how you're doing that correction. If it's provoking somebody, it's now a sin. So it's amazing to me. I've seen people try to rebuke somebody else, but they rebuke through provoking. And so they're actually sinning in their response to somebody else's sin. Mm. Um, another one found in Romans twelve nineteen is uh, take revenge. Yeah, and don't, right? <laughs> These are all the don'ts, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then uh, 2 Timothy 2, 4 uh, says that we need to not be caught up in civilian matters, which again relates back to uh, having an eternal perspective mm-hmm. instead of a temporary right now perspective. And th- this is something that I know I struggle with. It's really easy to get caught up in uh, whatever's going on wherever I am, just mm-hmm. um, current events, random stuff going on in the news. It's really easy to 
freak out about the little things yep. and miss out on the larger picture. And cool clarification on that. So that's Second Timothy uh, two four, right? Yeah. The, it says a good soldier doesn't get caught up or doesn't get entangled uh, <clears throat> in civilian matters or civilian affairs because he's too eagerly seeking to please the ma- to please his master. I love that passage. So you mentioned current affairs or what's in the news or politics. We're not so when we say that a good soldier for Jesus doesn't get caught up in those things. We're not saying they don't get engaged in them. Mm. So you absolutely want to be engaged in politics, in current affairs, in whatever circumstance or situation you deal with. You want to be co- you want to be engaged in that. You don't want to let yourself get entangled. And so again, visually entangled, right? You're all kind of wrapped up and you're frustrated. Everything can't else. move. So for me, politics is a, it's a civilian matter. So we should be engaged in it, but don't let yourself get entangled. Like you said, can't can't move. Um, be careful of that don't don't put too many too, your eggs too many eggs in that basket, right? With that. Uh, and then the, the last one, we see this in Proverbs 20, verse 3. We see Galatians 5, 20. Galatians 5 is a huge one. James 4, 2. Quarreling, strife, dissensions, and factions. These are all acts of the flesh. They're all, they're all sins. Um, they cause detriment to quarrel. They cause detriment. You know, um, some, 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 some of you say, I follow Paulo. Some say, I follow Paul. No, you're all, we're all following the Lord, mm-hmm. right? So that unity is needed there. So, so we want to be careful with those dissensions and divisions, and which which we see all the time in the church. The church quarrels all the time, and they justify it because they're trying to defend truth. Hmm. You can't justify some sin in defense of another command. So yes, we're supposed to defend truth, but we're supposed to defend truth without quarreling or causing strife or dissensions. That's hard to do, but it's not impossible. Step up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and then there's also, so here's a lot that we just went through. Uh, there's also, obviously, a lot of other things in Scripture that we're not supposed to do, and so I'm just going to really quick rapid-fire through these. Um, we're not supposed to steal, not keep your word, lust, boasting, unworthy communication, not supposed to shed in innocent blood, uh, have no part in wicked schemes, deceit, not supposed to have unjust business deals, don't stir up trouble, don't question the authority he's established. Um, don't uh, commit robbery, which is similar to stealing. But uh, also don't oppress people. Don't have violence. Don't wish ill on another. Don't have bad theology or bad leadership. And this is one of those overarching category things. Whatever is not from faith is sin, mm-hmm. according to Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a lot of implications there. Don't cause another person to stumble. Uh, so even if you have the ability to decide to do something, if it's going to cause another person to stumble, then you actually, it is a sin for you to do that thing, um, which uh, that is a really interesting discussion as well. And then this last one here, uh, mingling with unholy, unfaithful groups. And we talked about that a bit, and I believe it was the maturity study, mm-hmm. how so. it's important. Uh, because Jesus obviously spent time with unbelievers uh, to the point that he was accused of being a friend of sinners and drunkards and all these different people. And so if you are spiritually mature and you're in a place where you can influence others more than they're influencing you, then it's okay to spend time with unbelievers because, I mean, that's really the goal. We need to be spending time with unbelievers to show them the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a place where you're not at that level of maturity, then it's unwise for you to go and do that because it's going to cause you to primarily turn away from God into something else. Experience detriment. Yeah, and so uh, that really is a wisdom thing. And if you're wondering, like, I'm not really sure if I can handle this, then 
it's probably a sign that you can't. Right. And so just be very aware of that as you start walking. And if you're and strong, mature, dive in, hang out with them, love on them, right? Be salt yeah, and light to them. For sure. Yeah. So again, this is not a comprehensive list, but this is a pretty thorough one. We had, I think um, you'll notice, so let's talk through some of the implications of this and, and some observations and insights. Um, one is, one thing that jumps out here is, and, and you can see this physically when you're looking at the list, it's really two to one. Mm-hmm. commands to prohibitions there's literally double the amount of commands i think we had like 40 groupings versus 20 groupings and then if you count each individual it's like 80 30 or 80 40 and so it was fascinating to me that we the church hyper focus on the prohibitions more than we do in the commands that we justify um the commands almost become secondary or optional the main thing is avoid these prohibitions and then if you have time start doing the commands no it's the flip of that Pursue the commands, and then as you're doing that, that's going to give you the strength and, and wisdom you need to avoid the prohibition. And it's it's even more interesting, I think, because the we, we don't even focus on all of the prohibitions, all 20 or 40 of those. What we do is we focus on uh, the party ones. So right. don't lie, uh, don't cheat, don't steal. Homosexuality, uh, don't, drunkenness. Uh, yep, don't do that. Yep. Those are the ones that it's like, yeah, really avoid these ones because we can see that, and that's going to look bad. Um, the, the attitude ones, yeah, I mean, don't, I mean, don't complain a lot, that sort of thing. And so it's really don't do these main few party ones and mm-hmm. eh, kind of try and avoid the other if ones. And then, I mean, if you still have time, let's maybe do some good things too. And that's really just the exact opposite of the focus that scripture even puts right? based on how many times it talks about each of these things. It, it was remarkable to me when we first put this list together that the church hyper focuses on not doing the party sins and then in response to those that do the party sins mm. they do the attitude sins yeah so they judge they get bitter they complain and grumble take wrong into account take wrong into account it was it was so convicting to me i'm like wow are we the church screwing up you know and so we we there, it, it, this goes back to also too people rank sins mm. And so we would rank some as worse than others where I, I can't rank them. They're all evil, right? Mm-hmm. They're all detrimental. Yes, maybe we can argue they're detrimental to different extents, but they're all detrimental. So they're all evil. They're all sins. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand that. And, uh, and so it's not okay to be quick tempered and get angry when somebody else gets drunk. Yeah. You're now sinning in response to their sin. And so I'm hoping that a mature believer looks at a list like this and they just start redefining they start reseeing, you know, uh, and different approaches. What else have, did you guys notice um, insights or comments on on this whole list? Yeah, and uh, with ranking, I really think that it comes down to you're focused on the behavior instead of the mindset, mm-hmm. and you're focused on the secondary definition of sin instead of the primary definition of sin. Because if you yeah. if all you're doing is you're looking at specific behaviors and you're saying. Um, well, these behaviors are the most evident, and so these behaviors are the worst because they're. I can see them directly in f- affecting other people, and I realize I can recognize that really easily. Um, and so, if that's your perspective, then I think it's a whole lot easier to rank sins. But if your definition of sin is it's primarily turning away from God. And then the, really the secondary issue is what, how you're doing that, what that looks like. But the actual issue is you're turning away from God. It's much easier to see, no, these are all equally evil because the problem is you're not 
you're not communing with God and you've turned away from him. Right. And so that looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. Different people struggle with different things to different extents. But the actual issue that we all have in common is that we've turned away from God. Yeah. And so I think that that just really helps um, someone that might be working through. No, I, I really see these sins as being uh, more impactful than others. Sure. Some might have different levels of impact. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that the actual issue here isn't the behavior. The actual if issue is that you're turning away from God. Yeah. Connor, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, this list was pretty impactful. And I think one of the biggest things that we've already kind of touched on is just that, like, you look at this and you're like, wow, I, I do sin like every day. And, <coughs> you know, kind of the perspective of, oh, well, you know, I'm not necessarily doing some of these prohibitions, but then to look like, well, I'm, I'm actually not pursuing these beneficial goods. I'm not pursuing these things that it calls out in scripture to pursue these commands. Um, and when I don't do that, that's a sin. I think, um, that was kind of the really impactful thing for me, just looking at the list. Um, and then also as we move into kind of the application, that's where uh, like, well, like, okay, like how do we, like, how do we apply this and where do, what do we get out of this? So looking forward to that. Yeah. So let, let's, let's go ahead and segue into that. So, and so this, you know, this, um, Requires humility, right? It requires an acknowledgement of everything you were just saying. Now, actually, before we get into application, let me say this. This, when we talked about this beforehand, before the recording, this could be very discouraging. So, uh, someone who's listening to this, and they're like, man, if this is true, I'm screwed. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a jerk. I'm a terrible Christian. Because yes, I'm not. I wasn't doing those detrimental prohibitions, but I, I I have been doing these other detrimental prohibitions, and I haven't been doing all of these beneficial. I don't even know how it's even possible to try to even tackle all that. And and so so, what would you guys say to somebody who's feeling very discouraged and overwhelmed right now as they're listening to this whole list? What would you say? How might you encourage them? Yeah, I think one way that I would encourage them is just recognize that this whole th- this mindset change is a process. Mm-hmm. And this isn't going to happen overnight. Like you're not going to hear this list, agree with it immediate because uh, first I'm not <coughs> entirely convinced that you'll necessarily believe this right. immediately as soon as we say it. Um and so I'll uh, <laughs> be honest enough to recognize that, but I think that once you really begin to adopt this mindset it is a process. And so it's not going to happen overnight. And the first step of that process is actually recognizing that you have ranked sins Mm -hmm. and you need to change the way that you look at it. Um, because you're not going to be able to start pursuing, uh, the good things instead of the bad things. If you, you haven't recognized that you haven't been doing that. And so I think that that's one of just really primary, uh, an encouragement I would give to you guys is that, no one is expecting you to do this all at once because right. you're not going to be able to do this all at once. Uh, and so just keep that in mind and be encouraged that you really have taken the first step already in recognizing that this is something that needs to happen. So so with that, let's move into some application then um, and, and, and continue this encouragement. These are some practical things to keep in mind that can help you like tackle this bit by bit. So one of them is keeping in mind seven stage journey. So this goes back to season one, the lenses uh, episode, I think one, 1.01, I think. Anyways, the seven stage journey, um, I'm not gonna go through all of it now, but part of that is, you know, you join the boat, 
as a boat rider, you, 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 Jesus is now your king. He's your master. He's your captain. He's your Lord. Um, and you join, you begin learning all the basics, but then you need to move out into the water. And that, that's really where the maturity is. It's applying the details of the Bible to the details of your life, all that stuff. The way that we describe it is out there on the water, there's all these different training areas. And so the, and, and the idea is, is as you're water walking, you're walking in step. You remember the spirit is just under the water with his hands up on the surface. And so you're like walking on the spirit's mm-hmm. hands as you're moving towards Jesus. And the two of them lead you through all these different training areas. And so like each command is its own training area. Each prohibition is its own training area, right? Each fruit, fruit of the spirit is its own training area. Each spiritual gift is its own training area. So I think we've identified at least 180 training areas. And the idea there is there's no one correct order um, in these training areas. And some training areas you're naturally good at, and so you'll pick up pretty quick. Other training areas are much more difficult. It's going to take a lot of work to get there. So what you can do is you can look at this list that we just gave you and see how each one of those points is its own training area. And one of the things I say is that I believe you can – it takes anywhere between three months and three years to master a training area. It takes anywhere between three months and three years to begin to master one of these commands or to master one of the prohibitions, i.e. learning how to consistently resist it. Um, and that three months to three years is if you're being intentional. If you're kind of winging it, it takes even longer. I also believe you can probably only handle one or two at a time, maybe three. Because you know, we've all got jobs, we've all got stuff going on, etc. Yeah. And so when you look at this and you say, all right, so let, let, let's do the math of this. I can only handle one or two training areas at a time, maybe three. And if I'm being intentional, it's going to take me somewhere between three months to three years to master any one of these. And there's over 180. When you do the math, you realize you'll never it's get like them all done. Happen. Yeah. It's never the goal. There's only been one person in all of history who mastered all 180. His name was Jesus, and he was God in human flesh, mm. right, doing that. And so I believe, for example, like, like John, say John, you know, John lived to probably his 80s, 80s or 90s, the, the, the disciple. He might have gotten 80 of the 180 by the time he was done. Maybe he cracked 100. I don't, I don't know. But this is one of the greatest, you know, Christians of all time. Um, and so what I want you to realize, this goes back to not being overwhelmed by this. Your goal is not to master all 180, right? To do, to do all 100 plus commandments consistently mm-hmm. and to avoid all 80 some prohibitions consistently. That's not the goal. The goal practically, application, is right now is, is you would go through that list and you'll pick, I would say pick like one prohibition and then pick like one or two of the commands that are really convicting to you and you begin focusing on them and say, this is what I'm gonna work on now. I'm going to work on avoiding this prohibition and I'm going to work on doing these two commands or being these two commands. And over the next several months to several years, you begin to get consistently good at resisting that prohibition and doing those two commands. And as you get good with them, then you segue into the next couple. Um, and then just over the course of your whole life, you just do this one by one. So I, you know, I just turned 45 and some of these I've, I, I got checked off where I can consistently resist or I consistently do. It's only, only a handful. <laughs> um, and I've got, you know, another, I don't know, 20, 30 years living. Um, and so my goal is simply just to pick the next couple ones and work on those. Pick the next couple ones so that when I die, maybe I've got 30, you know, out, out of the 180. And that's not a bad thing. I have 30, I'm done. It's great. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and knowing that as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm bringing benefit to myself. I'm bringing benefit to others, you know, et cetera. So that, that, that's one thing I, I would say. Um, another one that, that I'll say real quick also is the be, do, have. That as you're picking yours, going back to the be, do, have um, concept, you want to focus first on be and start nailing the be before you can nail the do. So as you're trying to decide um, which, which ones you should select, I would encourage you, unless the Lord leads you otherwise, go, go with what the Lord leads, but encourage you to pick some of the B ones, some of the attitude ones, because that will help you with the behavioral ones. What other, um, so Connor, I know we talked beforehand, you had picked one of yours. Talk a little bit about like which ones you've done kind of practically how you're going about that. Mm-hmm, definitely. I guess first, like one thing, just kind of comment on um, kind of what you're saying about how this is a transformation, this is a maturing, this is a process. Um, and kind of like, I do find that, um, you know, encouraging reassuring because when you look at this initially, it's kind of <coughs> overwhelming. And, um, however, I like when you come from that perspective of, you know, this is a process that takes time, you know, choose a few uh, of the commands of the prohibitions to work on, um, as you progress through your life. Like, I think that is a realistic, like a practical approach. Um, and I really like that. And that's encouraging because I feel kind of when you're presented, um, or at least how I've been presented evil and sin, it's like, all right, you, you've become a believer now go and be perfect, be like Christ. And I'm like, Whoa, uh, like, Whoa, uh, that's a lot. Like, right. Like, how am I going to do that? Like, okay, well, I guess it's not attainable and I'm not going to try. Yeah. I'm not going to try. And so I think when you look at this and, and you realize like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to get all these, but it's part of the maturing process. It's part of, um, you know, becoming more like Christ is that you do put focus on this. And I think having this list and being able to pick a few at a time and really work on those and mature and kind of, you know, use that as part of the transformation. That's encouraging to kind of, um, see it in that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and for example, kind of when we went through the study, um, I did like, you know, we went through and kind of marked the ones that stood out to us and ones that related to our muddy fields and things that we struggle with. And so, uh, for example, um, I chose to focus on not having doubt, worry, and fear, um, and being anxious about the future. And, and I feel like that's something that I, I do like have, you know, struggle with and, and it's one of my muddy fields. And so like kind of practically and like application, like, you know, taking this list, um, identifying those. And so for that, like, you know, I found scripture and whenever I would find scripture that referenced that, and, you know, it talked about, um, the truths that are in the Bible that counter that, um, you know, to write that down, to start to memorize those, um, so that, once we'll get into kind of our response and how our interaction with sin, but to be able to utilize this list and those, you know, that's those scripture references to be able to counter, um, my fears and my doubt and my worry. And I think also, um, you know, to focusing on those counters. So some of the counters right, to that are right. focusing on the love, you know, God's love, cast out fear, casting out fear, um, you know, faith. And there's some different boldness. commands, boldness, yeah, there are commands that we have that actually counter, um, that prohibition. And so kind of, are we talking about like a two to one ratio? No, there are things up above that we need to focus on that will allow us to not spend time in the prohibitions. And so I definitely found that really encouraging to, to take a look at that and work through that process. Um, in my response to, to my doubts, my worries, my fears, and to really try to focus on some of the commands that counter that. And did you mention the scripture memorization? Yeah. And so, so part of that, you know, I would, I'd write down those verses that relate to that, that speak to, um, you know, God's love for us, God, ca- you know, casting out fear that God has a plan for us. He cares for us more than spare. Like he has a plan for sparrows. Like how much more does he have a, mm-hmm. a plan for us? And just like different passages that speak to 
not ha- not needing to be anxious about tomorrow, not needing to worry or fear, mm-hmm. and then to memorize those as part of this process of you know trying to not do the prohibitions and trying to to do the command. Yeah, there's there's power in those verses, right? Yeah. So like like Isaiah twenty six three, you Lord give perfect peace to him whose mind is steadfast on you because he trusts in you. So if I if, so peace will help counter this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I I need so I have a lot of doubt or fear or worry. I need peace to help me counter it. I get peace from thinking steadfastly on him because I trust in him. And you repeat that. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Or like uh, Ephesians six, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. So you can even just like chant that, right? If you get in a spiritual attack, you can chant that. There's so much power and magic in these verses that if you memorize them and, and, and state them and live them, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And and another aspect of that, too, is some of the stuff that I would write down um, and I'm writing down is is kind of some of God's responses in stories in the Bible. And so not necessarily just specific verses, but, hey, this is how God handled a situation mm-hmm. with the Israelites mm-hmm. or, um, you know, with one of the prophets and and to kind of capture that principle of not having to worry or fear or trusting the Lord through a story. And I think that's really powerful. It's, it's easy to remember. Um, so it's, you know, there's key verses that speak to, um, you know, that prohibition or that command that you're dealing with, but there's also examples in the Bible that show God's character that show his response. And we're able to imitate that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Cause I believe it's in Psalms that it, uh, says your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you and when Jesus was tempted what do we see him do we see him quote scripture and so that is I mean there's some practical application right there that the response of the of our savior who was fully God and also fully man his response was to quote scripture and so memorization is such an important part but I want to add a little bit of nuance to memorizing scripture because I recently heard um, Francis Chan talk about how not to make disciples. And he says that a lot of times in the church, what we do is we say uh, our response is, hey, you need to go memorize scripture, but that's all we do. And so he makes the example of he tells his daughter to go clean a room. And so uh, he in his story was saying that uh, she comes back a couple hours later and says, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said, Rach, go clean your room. And that's obviously like not what you're supposed to be. And she's like, I can say it in Greek. And we <laughs> like, that's, wow. that's where we go. And, and wow. he goes on and he's just like, yeah, my friends are actually going to come over next week and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if we were to actually go and clean our room. Mm-hmm. It, like it, it is really practical that we do need to memorize scripture. And that is so important. That's what Jesus that did. Do it. But we need to move beyond memorizing the words and actually begin to live out the actions of yeah, it. Good point. Yeah. So another concept that goes in the application here is muddy fields. Mm. And so this goes back to know thyself season two. I forget episode zero five or somewhere in there. But anyways, so uh, but it comes back to this. And so I want to touch on it briefly. Um, go back and listen to that episode of muddy fields because yeah. we actually actually we also mentioned it in season one. It's one of the lenses. Mm-hmm. So go back and, and listen to the muddy fields. The entire concept is very, very powerful. It's one of the things I'm most passionate about. I'll give a quick a quick um, recap here. So the idea of muddy fields is standing in a field is being tempted and then falling down in the field is sinning. So there's a difference between the temptation and the sin. Temptation is not a problem. Sin is the problem, mm-hmm. right? Because Jesus was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. So if, so if you're standing in the field, you're being tempted. If you fall down, you're sinning. With that, we have four categories of muddy fields. So imagine like this huge, gigantic plain um, with all these different, like, you know, like like a farmland with all these different fields, right? And so each of these fields represent the different temptations that are out there or the different buckets 
that you may turn to, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's four categories. A type four muddy field is a field that you've never stepped foot in. It's non, it's a non-issue for you. So you've never been tempted to do, <clears throat> to do that prohibition. Um, and so you've never committed that prohibition, right? A type three muddy field are those temptations that every once in a while, it may be an issue. So depending on who you're hanging out with or where you are or whatever, mm -hmm. maybe every once in a while you stroll into one of those fields. When you're in the field, maybe you fall and give into it and, and do that sin. Maybe you resist it and step out. It's just not a regular part of your life. A type two muddy field are those temptations that you used to always struggle with and you frequently fell and, and committed that sin again and again and again. But then you have victory over it now. Hmm. At some point, maybe at salvation, maybe at a prayer meeting, maybe over time through counseling, you got victory over this and you've never stepped foot back into that field again and now it's no longer an issue for you. The type one is what we focus on in, in rekindling. And the type one muddy field are those temptations that you still struggle with. And like frequently. Mm -hmm. And so you frequently fall. Sometimes you resist, but a lot of times you fall. And, and you've been begging God to make it a type two and give you the victory, but he hasn't done that. The idea here with these type ones is I really do believe that God has, has equipped. Oh, this goes back to the whole prologue thing that we were just discussing mm -hmm. that we're made of dust. I do believe that God, when he wires each of us, when he knits us in our mother's womb, that we are equipped with type one muddy fields. I believe everyone has like two to four. And, and these are kind of thorns in the flesh. And you have these two to four struggles that you are always going to struggle with this side of the gates to the day you die. And so the goal isn't to get that big victory where you walk away from it completely. The goal is to get moment by moment victory mm -hmm. of just you're all you're always going to be in that field struggling with that. And it's and God's going to say, listen, I, I so God, Jesus was tempted in every way. So Jesus actually walked into every single field. Um, and so he knows what those temptations are firsthand, which is really powerful when you think about that. Jesus experienced every temptation so that he can relate to you. Hmm. I, I believe that literally, which takes it to some, you know, some crazy places. Um, but anyways, so, so he said, listen, I've been tempted in every way, so I understand what you're going through. So I could make it a type two, and I do sometimes, right? But for these two to four in your life, I'm not. I'm, instead, what we're going to do is, is I'm going to walk with you in this field. And I'm going to teach you how to stand strong and walk well in the field. I'm going to teach you how to resist it each time the temptation comes up. And yes, that's messy. And yes, that's going to require a lot of work. But that's the point is because you have to be leaning on me to do that, walking in step with the Spirit, the intimate relationship with me, the, the maturity. So what's interesting is the type two, those are great because there's a victory that you can celebrate and God gets the glory uh, from that victory. But the type ones, there's, it's also good because, and God still gets glory because you're learning to depend on him. Hmm. And so they each have their benefits. And so one of the practical things here is as you're looking at all these lists is to look at here and say, you know what? As I look at this list, especially with the prohibitions, what are my type ones? What are the two to four type ones that I have? Like, man, that one, that one, and that one. These are going to be the three that I know I'm constantly going to struggle with. 
and then learning to walk with God, establishing the counters that you were mentioning, Connor, establishing those counters, and then just in the moment, moment by moment, um, resisting them. It changes the tone. Your goal is no longer to have this ultimate victory over it because you won't have that until the other side of the gates. You won't have this in heaven, right? The goal is just, okay, this is my type one muddy field. And so I'm, I'm just need to constantly walking in step with God, constantly countering it, et cetera. And you get the moment by moment victory. It's exhausting, but it is going to make you closer to God. And so, so it, there's a whole lot to all that, but at least wanted to address it here. It also helps you uh, treat your friends differently because your friend may be struggling with something where it's a type one for them and it's a type four for you. And you're like, I don't get it. You just resist it. Like, how is this even a thing? Well, it's a type four for you, so you can't understand that. It's a type one for them. It's deep, right? It's part of their just wiring. And, and, so, and so the goal is not to get them just to fix it. The goal is to bear their, bear their burdens with them, come alongside them as Jesus does, and help them establish those counters and get that moment-by-moment moment mm-hmm. victory. So a whole lot more to say to that, but I just I wanted to throw that out there. Um, do you guys have any other things that you would want to add, um, as far as just the, the application, um, with all this? No, I don't think so. Okay. So that's this episode then that's, that's listing out a lot of the sins, you know, very convicting, very overwhelming. So we've been trying to parse this all out and help you take some encouragement that this is a a lifelong goal. And, And I want you, I guess, um, last thing I'll say on this is, I want you to be excited about this. And so don't don't be the negative folks like, crap, I just did this prohibition, so I created detriment. Or crap, I didn't do that command, so I didn't create a benefit. Don't look at it that way. Look at it as, um, ooh, ooh, I have a chance to create some benefit, and so I'm going to go do this command. Or I get Paul always got really excited when he saw others doing this, when his churches were, were doing the commands. Because he knew that benefit was getting passed on. He was super pumped about that. Hmm. So get really excited when you do see a command done, whether you do it or another does it. Or get excited when you do see a prohibition that's resisted by you or another. You know, somebody, somebody's working through that. Um, the motivation for all this is the, the judgment day and accountability session. I want you to keep my, and we'll get more into this when we get into the response of everything. But I want you to keep in mind that as a believer, when you get to judgment day, every sin that you've ever done, so every prohibition that you've committed or every command that you haven't done, all that gets erased. It's all blotted out. It's remembered no more. It's already atoned for. You have no negative in your ledger when you get to the judgment day. So yes, every time that you don't do one of the commands and and so you haven't created that benefit or every time that you do one of the prohibitions and you create a detriment, it puts negative in your ledger. But that ledger gets gets atoned for by Christ on the cross and gets erased. So every Christian shows up at heaven, at judgment day, with zero in their ledger. Mm-hmm. No Christian is going to show up with any negative in their ledger. So you have to understand, no matter if you've done um, one ounce of sin or you've done eight tons of sin, both people show up at the gates with zero in their ledger. So you want, you want to be encouraged by that, you know, that, that, that it is taken care of. So the thing here is everybody and every Christian shows up at judgment as they walk into heaven with zero, no negative in their ledger. They have the opportunity to have positive in their ledger. Mm -hmm. And so every time that you do one of the good commands and you create a benefit, every time that you resist a sin, um, that that creates positive in a ledger. And so the goal is don't try to minimize the negative as much as it is to maximize the positive because the negative is already atoned for. And so you want to come into heaven 
um, you don't want those blank pages. We go through this and, and know thyself. And so this has been very convicting and motivating for me that I don't want to show up to heaven with have done a bunch of prohibitions that were erased and, and I didn't do a bunch of commands that were erased. And so I just show up with a zero. I don't want to show up with nothing to show for it. Hmm. I want to show up with positive in my ledger with my pages filled. And I, and I want to know that I was creating benefit for myself and for others and for God, you know? Um, and so that's encouraging me. and knowing that this is a baby step, two steps forward, one step back thing. And it's just all the negatives erased. It's just what good what was I able to accomplish. It changed the tone for me. It gave me that healthier attitude, which has helped me move in that journey. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. Yeah, and with that being a two-step forward, one-step back process, I really do want to encourage us and me personally to have a long-term view of this. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like too often we say, uh, oh, man, today today was a rough day. I'm really not growing. Or this week was a rough week. This month this for me this semester has been just kind of rough um and it's easy to focus on that but if we miss if we focus on one week we miss out on the long term because i actually heard this example if you look at amazon stocks from two weeks ago um because i actually did for a paper that i was writing uh it started off mid-range and then it dropped off and it stayed down and you might think oh man better not invest here. Um, but when you look over the last 17 years, it started at zero. Now it's at like 1400. And so we really need to move away from a mentality of, we need immediate results now. And we need to see all of the change that we want to accomplish currently, because it's not going to happen. It needs to be this long process. Good. So that's it for this episode, listing out all the, all these sins. Um, so the next episode, uh, ABCDE is, so what is God's response to sin? Given everything that we've now been discussing, what is his response when we resist sin? And then what is his response when we commit sin? And then that will segue into the last sub episode, uh, F of then. So what should our response be? So we'll sign off with that. You know, as always, if you guys got questions, you can email us at info at or you can go to the website, rekindlingministries.org. Uh, and then we will see you guys for the next episode.